Hey guys, if you want updates on our latest episodes, then be sure to subscribe to the Film Colossus podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, if you'd like to support the show and hear episodes ad-free, then subscribe to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash filmcolossus. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Oh, geez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. My name is Travis Bean. My name is Chris Lambert. And welcome to Film Colossus. Your guide to movies. I like the long pause because if you're a regular listener of the show, you're like, is he going to say the same thing? Have they changed it up? No, you're just being, uh, you're drawing suspense. I like it. That's right. You know, I feel like this might be like a little bit of a, a noir-themed episode. Who knows? Mm. Did you watch any film noirs? No, not, not no, a single neither one. Neither did I. So don't expect any noir talk. Uh, <laughs> today, we have 45 minutes. Wow, a whole 45 of them to talk about every movie we've seen in the past two weeks since our last episode. Um, I will say that I didn't see anything that blew me away. I watched 13 movies in total. A little pissed. I didn't, couldn't quite get the 14. Average that one a day. Um, and I watched several mediocre ones. Yeah, it's always... Uh, it always feels bad when you're in a string of some mediocre films, right? I, I will say... Maybe I go too far to say mediocre. Like, they're probably actually a step above. Maybe a lot of middling films. Okay. Okay. It's, um, I saw five. And none really blew me away there's a couple that are on the cusp and like one that's a little below average nice yeah gosh what a what a great tease for this episode a bunch of movies we kind of liked (laughs) yeah wait i didn't think through that oh we have some amazing recommendations (laughs) for you today i do have one i do have one that i i think really eclipsed and became like a little transcendent, even though I, th- there are some things I, about it I, I wish were better, but I, I'm excited to talk about this one. That's my tease. Okay. Okay. Well, should we uh, list out the movies that we watched? Yeah. Why don't you go first? I think I went first last time. Okay. And you got to watched... say where they ranked. We keep not doing this. We're going to say where these movies rank in our all-time movie rankings. That's right. That's right. Okay. So starting off, I watched Babylon. Oh, yeah. That was one. And where did it rank? I, I 
<laughs> I made the list, but I didn't write down the. So Babylon's at thirty-one of eighty-one. All right, and these that so means I put it in the positives category. Okay, so this is eighty-one movies, and we say all-time rankings, but if you're new to the show, that is just how many movies Chris has watched since like what July twenty twenty-two. Yeah, July of 2022 when we started the list. So there's like movies that I've watched a dozen times that aren't on the list because I just haven't watched them. Yeah. You know, since I had somebody ask on Twitter the other day, they're like, do you really have like six 2022 movies in your top 10 all time? And it's like, (laughs) no, but yes, like for the list. Yes. In reality, no. Yeah. People don't like to Uh, read the uh, intro paragraph to our articles. No, not at all. It's right there. It's just right there. But Babylon is at 31. Uh, Tar is uh, the next one I saw, which you know, back-to-back really long movies. Yeah. Um, that came in at 28 in the positives okay. category. Wow. So it's at the, the top of the positives right now, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know if I've ever explained it. It's essentially like a 10-to-1 like grouping but it's colossal amazing impressive really good positives neutral so positives is essentially like a six out of ten okay uh neutral negatives flawed bad i hate (laughs) got it um so yeah positives category and then you people uh was another one that i watched that might be the lone no one of two 2023 movies and you people came in at number 69 on the list so yeah it's down in the flawed category Mm -hmm. for 2023 it's also low but there's only been a few 2023 movies yeah how many Um, have you seen i've seen four so far (laughs) and you people's last at number nine so that's low that's low that's low okay and then uh it's the lost city which came in which i remember when that premiered at south by southwest and people were it was like the big movie of south by southwest Uh uh-huh and then it actually came out and nobody cared Uh um but that's at number 45 uh also in the positives category huh Uh uh-huh and then lastly we have infinity pool uh, the other 2023 movie, Brandon Cronenberg. And that one came in where? Uh, number 62 in the neutral category. And for 2023, it's at number six. But that ranks it the highest of all the 2023 movies I've watched so far. Wait, it ranks at number six for 2020? I thought you said you've seen four. Yeah, it's it's the places above it. So because it's in the neutral category... Like, there's the empty spot of, like, positives, really good, impressive, amazing, colossal. So, it's, like, I guess it's ranked number one, technically. So, it's the best movie you've seen in 2023. Yeah, it's the best that I've seen in 2023, but it's in the neutral category. (laughs) So, it's... Wow. (laughs) You took something I thought was very simple. You made it very confusing (laughs) to me. You've seen four movies... Four 2023 movies, Infinity Pools, number one, and You People's number four, correct? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's it's number one, but it's also number six. 
it's one, but it's six. Oh man. Okay. Um, so I want to ask about, I guess there are two movies I want to ask about. I want to hear about infinity pool, but I'm kind of intrigued by the lost city because I watched that movie, um, early in 2022 and I've seen a lot of people really hype it up like people whose movie opinions I respect um and I have people commented on the review I wrote for it saying like oh man it's good you gotta rewatch it I remember that movie being like indefensibly bad like (laughs) just like Channing Tatum's great like he's doing good work but like I just remember Sandra Bullock like kind of zombieing through that movie like daniel radcliffe not really being a great fit all the brad pet stuff felt forced to me like it felt like a movie that just just didn't work like whatever energy it was going for so i'm interested to hear it, it's, it seems like you you seem to like it right i mean i in my ranking like explanation i said that i might be inflating the ranking a little bit because I'm a little nostalgic for uh, rom-coms and having just watched you people and being so like (laughs) upset, like disappointed in that movie. It kind of made the lost city feel like a little more palatable in comparison. Mm -hmm. It was like the opening scene I thought was incredibly rough. Um, Yeah. Rough is a great word for that movie. Yeah, like the Q&A section, it just felt yeah. so heightened heightened in a way that it felt like a Saturday Night Live sketch, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think any good movie ever feels like a Saturday Night Live <laughs> sketch. Even the movies based off of Saturday Night Live sketches don't feel like Saturday Night Live sketches. Yeah. Um, it was just a little too cheesy, a little too like amateurish which i know the lost city's not written by like or made by amateurs but that's kind of what it it kind of was though that like it's made by these two guys who haven't done much and it felt like Mm. this was their first big movie and like that's what it felt like to me like two people who are trying to figure out how to make a movie the end i think is the best example of like the bad the bad writing the problematic writing because there's like I like Channing Tatum. I like Sandra Bullock just as like yeah. actors when they're doing their thing. It was a little like rougher at times for uh, Sandy for Sandra in this movie. I thought <laughs> just given some of the situations, but uh-huh. I thought that their chemistry kind of carried the day through mm-hmm. some of the like rougher scenes. But the end was the thing that like almost caused me to like derank it by like (laughs) dozens of places because okay they go through this whole big adventure and she's a novelist she wrote a novel that's like a a sexy thriller and it doesn't do well it's like a bomb and they talk about her being like not having she's been a shut-in ever since her husband died and she needs to like get back out there so a lot of the adventure is kind of this journey of her coming back to life Mm -hmm. in a way and her and Channing Tatum like clearly like each other there's like fireworks there at the end like you know that they're going to get together and when they're finally rescued at the end of the movie 
it cuts from them getting rescued to them being on a beach in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we're told through exposition that it's the end of the next book tour. <laughs> and that means that from the time they were rescued to the very next scene that she got home, wrote a book, went yeah. through the whole like editing process, the publishing process, the marketing, and then not only released it, but went on, I'm guessing is a months long book tour and then arrived at this beach to celebrate. And now her and Channing Tatum, who was also on the book tour, finally like pick up where they left off and have their first kiss. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot Grab your copy of the Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh really? Is that what happens? Yeah, they oh, find wow. he says like he's nervous, and then they like kiss, and it's like implied that they're finally like going where we thought they would go. But I guess does that? I guess that makes sense for the character. I I could see what like more narrative problems you would have with that. Like you want to see more of this journey, but I guess I could see that what the movie is implied is first for Sandra Bullock to really move forward from her husband's death she needs to get home like write this story about this trip that she had that was this defamiliarization of going through trauma and grief and everything get it out of her system go on the book tour and then she's ready for Channing I guess that's ostensibly what it's trying to do yeah without ever like giving us any of that like mentioning it saying it and (laughs) the fact that what was Channing doing the whole like were they just not like, what was their chemistry yeah. that whole book tour? They just stared or, at each other from across the room quietly. Yeah. Did they never have a conversation picking up, like, about, like, hey, I just need a little time? Did they never Did, like, it's just, like, months passed, a year passed, and, like, nothing? Yeah, right. And it's one of those things where I know it's a movie where I'm not supposed to think too deeply about it. 
But I think whenever the logic is, well, hopefully people just don't think about it or we're doing this for efficiency and, you know, people get the idea. I think that's like a horrible call. And the fact that that's how Lost City ended, which is something that you people does as well that pissed me off and you people. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I'm mixed. I don't think Lost City's like great by any means, but it was giving me enough of what I wanted that it made it above the neutral category. I think I'm with you that the movie, I'm more, I, I was intrigued by the movie because it did kind of have a, 2000s romantic comedy feel like these two people like going off on an adventure or like stuck in a situation and the 2000s romantic comedies i mean i'm a big fan of because that era of romantic comedy i think most adheres to classic rom-coms like 30s and 40s and kind of like the goofy style of those so it's definitely maybe that's why i was really disappointed by the lost city because it wasn't so much the situation and the narrative and the chemistry, the chemistry was okay, I guess. Like, that wasn't so so bad. It just, it felt like incompetent filmmaking to me. Like, I never felt the power of anything. I was never, like, entertained that much by anything. It just felt like a movie that was going through the motions and never being that exciting. So, I, it just felt, like I said, it just felt like incompetence the whole time. But, uh, I wouldn't say incompetent. I would say, I would say, like, basic. Like, it's kind of, like, efficiency sure. filmmaking. Um, uh, like yeah. style lists. Well, to me, like that's incompetent. Style. <laughs> <laughs> like, it it's, needs to have a sense of style. Like, for me to, like, feel anything for these people, like, I need to feel like the the movie has life and has vigor and has its own aesthetic and everything. See, it's funny because that's exactly how I feel about the, the Harry Potter, like, Order yeah, of the right. Phoenix through Deathly Hollows mm-hmm. is that it's just lifeless. And it, you love them. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. David Yates knows what he's doing. Uh, I also want to hear about Infinity Does Pool, he? though, because that's one I that's what I want to see. Uh, Infinity Pool. Cronenberg. Uh, it. I know it. It has the style that you want. It, there's definitely like that sense of uh, a filmmaker that has is confident in what they want to do with the work presenting it in their style like i feel like i got a sense of the filmmaker which i always enjoy it's just i also felt like i got the sense of somebody that still is figuring out narrative and filmmaking interesting so it's like the thing that i really liked about the camera work is that it felt very literary in the sense that the camera would kind of go to details that you could imagine a novelist would highlight. Like you go from the dialogue to just suddenly a description of the water, like the condensation on the glass, like dripping down. And Cronenberg would take that concept that you would see in literature and apply it just from like a cut of one character talking to the other to then suddenly like a close up of the glass. Mm-hmm. And then maybe like a shot of a bird flying through the sky. Like it felt descriptive in that, like visually descriptive in that way that was cool. But by like an hour into the movie, those things no longer felt fresh. They felt a little just 
like flourishes that mm-hmm. weren't really saying anything about like the place or the person or the character. Um, it was just like, oh, let's have a shot of these columns because it's like a cool shot and not like we're having a shot of the columns because it's playing into, you know, whatever's going like, uh, for example, Atlanta, which is not a movie, but I've been watching the last season of Atlanta. There's a shot of somebody pulling into a parking lot and you see the big empty parking lot. It's like a huge parking lot. And there's just like one other car parked and the car drives up and parks. And I had a moment of thinking specifically about Infinity Pool of like, did we need to see the whole shot of the car driving up and parking? It's just like, is that artsy for the sake of being artsy? But then you realize it's a mall and the character's walking through what's mostly like an empty abandoned mall. And so that shot of the empty parking lot kind of highlights the fall of the mall in modern America and the emptiness of this place where I never really got that from any shot in Infinity Pool. Okay, yeah. If you're not getting it from any shot, then that would be... Uh, that would be problematic. But I, that is uh, what you're saying, though, is interesting to me because I don't necessarily think every shot needs to have that. Like sometimes it's when you just see a pretty shot, it's part of a movie's aura and like it's whatever like power it's trying to build. And that can be part that that alone can help aid a movie's message. Like the columns don't represent anything in particular but they kind of have stature and they represent some sort of spirit that embodies the movie you know so like i don't know if that's what was happening um but it's just they you got like four of those shots every like three minutes or something (laughs) okay (laughs) so it's like by the time you're getting it to like in the slower parts of the movie you're just like okay come on (laughs) like i could see that being annoying yeah it just started to feel especially because the movie was like two hours and it felt like it could have been 40 minutes. Um, (laughs) That was also the thing, like the story didn't really go anywhere. It's one of these stories that's about like confronting yourself and this like self evolution, but it doesn't, it lacks a third act of what's the consequence of this self confrontation. Like what does the character get from this? So the Mm -hmm. ending was also like, it felt like the middle was unnecessarily long and the ending was completely avoided. Okay. Um, and God, I feel like you've talked for so long to this point. We should just like, like the first half should just be you talking. <laughs> do we, we want to <laughs> do it that way? I mean, I guess so. I could just talk quickly about like my favorite movie and least favorite movie. Um, nah, we'll jump to me. We'll see how it goes. Okay. Uh, do you have anything else? Did you see Possessor, Brandon Cronenberg's other movie? No, no, I did not. I wanted to, but I missed it. I feel like a lot of what you're describing kind of captures that movie, and I really like it. So I wonder if I wonder if you would like it. (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So, like I said, is there any other movie we need to talk about? Are you going to get to him? I'll get to him. Okay. Hay un problema que afecta a muchos niños que no puedo resolver sola. Se llama estrés tóxico y esto aumenta el riesgo de problemas de salud. Pero hay pasos que los padres pueden tomar para superar el estrés tóxico. Aprende cómo en first5california.com. 
So I had 13 movies this week. My list. So my list goes back a little further. I decided to include everything I watched in 2022. Uh, so between 2022 and the first month of uh, 2023, I have 319 movies. <laughs> uh, let's see. The highest rated one I have is Signs at 83. Uh, rewatched that for the first time. God, since I didn't watch it when it came out or anything, but I probably watched it back in 20, 2008 or something. So it had been a while. Um, Mandibles at 98. Uh, I guess that's not a movie a lot of people know. It uh, came out in 2020, directed by Quentin Dupieux. I don't know, don't know how to speak French. I feel like that's how you say it, though. <laughs> he's kind of... I feel like what he's most known for is he directed that movie Rubber. You remember that movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he makes the these really... The like, story of Rubber. Yeah. <laughs> he makes these really wacky movies. It's about a killer, a tire that kills people. Uh, so he makes these very like surrealist satire things um very much enjoyed that uh at 155 or joined all the way down there is i am not your negro the documentary do you remember that movie uh yes came out a few years ago it was nominated for best documentary everything at the academy awards isle of dogs rewatched that one it's down at 160 um going down to 211 i watched a documentary called creature designers the frankenstein complex (laughs) <laughs> it's wow. a it's about um uh like movie monsters basically the history of them um so everything from like you know alien to gremlins to king kong and all that uh the batman which chris and i watched for our last episode i have that down at number 232 then that which has moved up significantly than where it originally was um <laughs> The Last Dance, 1993 Japanese movie by Juzo Itami. Is that his name? I probably should have looked that up ahead of time, shouldn't I? Um, Yes. Is that his name? Yeah, Juzo Itami. It's about a director who's dying while he's making a movie where he plays a character who's dying. (laughs) Pretty crazy. Uh, I watched Women Talking, that 238. I guess we'll probably talk about that movie. Um, He's Just Not That Into You. I had never seen that movie. Down at number 245. Logan at 252. I'd seen that before, but I rewatched it. Facing Nolan, documentary about Nolan Ryan, number 262. Tar, for me, is way down at 286. We'll talk about that movie. And it, ooh, Tar wasn't the worst movie I've seen, though. Um, at 296, 10 spots below that, is the movie 10 Years, <laughs> which... <laughs> do you remember this movie? It was uh, Channing Tatum, like a high school reunion movie. No. Jeez. Oscar Isaac was in it. It was like before he was big into anything. Um, oh, yeah, this is a 2011. There are so many people in the movie. It's crazy. Whoa, yeah. Uh, Oscar Isaac, cast. Kate Mara... Yeah. Um, Rosario Dawson. Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Yeah. Justin Plaza, Anthony Mackie. Yeah. So. Anyway, and so those are all the movies I watched. Chris, which ones do you want to hear about? Uh, I, <laughs> I guess you'll talk about 10 years. Uh, that's uh, a. That's I guess, that... but I feel like I'd rather talk about Tar than 10 years. T- 10 years was just like, it was just bad 
bad. Like, it had no life. It tried to be, like, naturalistic, which, like, I can appreciate in movies sometimes, but I feel like sometimes movies try to be so naturalistic that they just become styleless. Like, they, they don't have anything really going on, and, like, any sort of themes or messages that, w- that would come from the movie are just inherent because you're just watching a regular, normal situation play out. So it was just like bad, bad. And it had some like strange, it had some strange notions about growing up and changing. (laughs) I don't know. I just found it unenjoyable. Um, Much more unenjoyable than Tar, which surprised me. I am really excited to watch this, like hate watch this now or like (laughs) morbidly watch this. Okay. Um, The other one, I'm curious... I mean, I I read your ranking on it, but Logan, like how if Lo, if you were just to rank Logan based on like the good parts of Logan, how high would it have been? Well, I mean, by the good parts, do you mean like? I guess the good things about Logan are that it's atypical for superhero movies, which I really liked. It felt it was very gritty and real uh there was there was cursing there was death like there were kids dying it's crazy like to think that like disney would never let a child die in a movie like there's just no fucking way um so like it was very intense in that way um i just uh that movie so if i i I don't even know how to answer that question chris like (laughs) as you and i have talked recently and in relation to tar like I don't know how to like just separate the good parts of a movie and like yeah if I only just talk about the good parts like yeah I guess it's way up further on my list but the movie was soured to me by it's like overt cruelness like it started to feel less like it's aesthetic and more like a weird pointed choice to like just keep making these people people's lives miserable to the point where I think it started to cloud the message and started to kill the journey that Logan was on. Like there was just never like a normal down to earth lighthearted moment where like Logan's learning something and like, you can see it. Like he just keeps being shit on the whole time until he's back into a quarter at the very end where he's dying. And like, I guess you can assume that like he's learned a lesson and like he wishes he could have done more and like found a new family. But like, I don't know. the the further and further the movie went down that hole, that smudgy hole where like just hell lives and like everything's terrible, I just kind of like kept losing interest in it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it is very, very bleak in that way. And that can start to feel very like a lot of pressure and a lot of weights. Yeah. I think the other thing with that that movie too is like a common problem I have with James Mangold is he's such a Hollywood director and he's very competent. Like he knows how to make a movie. He hits all the beats you expect the movie to hit, but he hits them to the point where like it starts to feel a little routine to me. Like I've seen this a million times. Like every James Mangold movie I've seen is the same. Like he did Ford versus Ferrari, which was like was one where it's like, I like everything about this, but like it feels so familiar and typical. And I don't know, just every time, like 310 to Yuma, stuff like that, like I can never get excited because everything feels so routine. 
I didn't realize he did 310 to Yuma. Yeah. Like these movies that are like, they're good. Like I, I can't say they're bad movies or anything, but like, I don't think I would ever want to watch it again. Mm. Okay. Um, and then what, which of those movies kind of wasn't the best, but surprised you the most? I will say actually, uh, women talking like I, okay. I I mean, it's the kind of movie where, like, I don't want to go into it saying, like, I'm there for it. I want to listen to what this movie's saying. I think it's an important movie to be made in today's day and age because essentially it's a it's a movie about these women that live in a colony and they discover that the men of the colony have been tranquilizing them and raping them. And it's terrible. It's a very terrible situation. And the whole movie is them deciding whether or not they'll forgive the men um if they'll they they all decide between three choices either they will leave so they'll just leave and never forgive the men either that or they'll stay in the colony and they'll fight for change for something better or they'll do nothing they'll just forgive the men and move on and like be happy that they have the situation they have um so like that whole situation obviously you can see the parallels between that and modern society like these women getting to sit around and kind of discuss the state of their living situation and how terrible it is and and what they can do to make it better um i i thought that as much as i think that's a good message like i was kind of scared it would just be a bunch of talking and be really boring um and maybe sometimes it it went to that territory which is why i don't think it catapults into like higher territory that I think Sarah Polly, the director usually sits in like her movies, like away from her and stories we tell are like, I really enjoyed those movies and in the places they reach, but still it, the movie did surprise me that it kind of had a horror element to it, which I didn't expect. I expected it to be more dramatic and just like kind of based in reality, but they really did find a sense of terror in this community when it's when the whole movie is just women talking to each other like they're just sitting in a bar and talking and they do a great job of kind of painting the cruelty of their habitat and how traumatized they are by the whole thing um it really was impressive from that standpoint just because the acting was so good and it was it's difficult to make a movie where people are just all in one place watchable. <laughs> like you got to like shift between perspectives constantly and, and do flashbacks and flash between this and that. So I, I was surprised that the movie was so well done for something that, for a concept that seemed very difficult. That's uh, that's inspiring. I think it sounds unique. It sounds interesting. Like I, I'm excited to see it now. Yeah. Part of me wishes, like, I want to rank it higher just because of, like, I love what it is so much and what its message is. I just think that this kind of movie inherently is really, really tough to pull off. And it kind of felt stagnant at points. Sometimes it felt a little forced. Sometimes, like, you know, if a movie were not much is happening, like, they're trying to insert things to make it feel like something's happening. It just felt a little too Hollywoodized in that aspect where... I think I've had gone further down like the horror trail and like tried to find the eerie aura of 
what was going on a little bit more. Like it had become something different. It could have been better, but still it's, I mean, it's a movie people should watch for sure. Is it, uh, is it wrong to make a comparison to 12 Angry Men? <laughs> I guess, yeah, that works. Um, it's too bad though because I mean I'm personally not a huge fan of 12 angry men um I think women talking finds like this immense power in moments that that movie never does um like there are moments where I was like really really moved and taken aback uh but there were also just as many moments where I was like oh like this doesn't feel like it's hitting the spot it needs to um okay. the one thing I will say about that movie is Chris you and I talk a lot about showing versus telling mm. and this movie again makes that tough because like it's all telling like it's just people talking but it was one of the better uses of that tactic that i've ever seen like it's a movie that actually kind of needs to tell more than it shows like to hear these women talk about what's happened to them to hear them go through what they're feeling in real time like it was kind of powerful in that way that we weren't showing anything we were just kind of hearing them talk about it and watching them react to it Nice. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then all the other movies, yeah, you can go. Uh, we, we, we're writing about all these movies on our rankings, so you can read what I thought about all these other movies if you care to read about it. <laughs> right. Filmcolossus.com. Yep. It's there in the podcast name. All right. Best movie. Uh, best movie. Oh, God. What was the best movie? I guess... I have Tar as the best one that I saw. Really? All right, so we can both talk about Tar at the same time. This is good. I, I would have talked about that as my worst movie. <laughs> See, this was something that we were talking about before the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we often talk movies with our friend Jordan, and Travis and Jordan are pretty aligned on like the gestalt being the primary. Like you even alluded to it a few minutes ago, saying like the inability to look at the parts, rather it's like the whole is kind of the end all be all for you. And I am more of a parts person where I can like find appreciation in like ABC, less so in like DEF, and kind of like weigh which one was more important to me. And I think the things that I enjoyed about Tar like outweighed some of the frustrations that I had with Tar. And then working on the movie guide for it uh, over the last mm. week has also like helped me appreciate some of the, the nuance and themes and um, ideas that are there in a way that like... I feel better about it. It hasn't quite had the turnaround. When I saw There Will Be Blood for the first time in theaters, I was so bored and angry that I literally stood up, looked at my friend and said, well, that's a movie I'll never watch again. (laughs) And then I spent six months thinking about There Will Be Blood like every single day of my life for six months. And when it finally came out on Blu-ray, I bought it like day one and then watched it a bunch of times. It was just enamored and in love. I don't think Tar is going to have a similar uh, journey in that way, but there is something to Tar that uh, has grown on me. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and and a big part of what the the conversation you're alluding to is a big text thread we had going for one night. Um, that despite any story reservations you had about the movie or like what you didn't like about what they did with the character, you were so blown away by the technical aspects of the movie, like the score and the camera movement and even the acting that all that stuff in your mind eclipses any, like you can appreciate all that stuff without being dragged down by the character stuff. Yeah, it's like I might have liked the story of, let's see, turning red a lot more than I liked the story of Tar, <laughs> just on like a visceral mm-hmm. level. Or Adam Project is another one. But like, I wouldn't say Adam Project's a better movie than Tar because I think all of the filmmaking aspects that go into Tar are like so far and away superior to what most movies are doing that I understand why it's like getting the acclaim that it's getting. Like I have some issues with some of the, the narrative being just like boring or dragged out or, but I still think like the highs it possesses are much higher than some of the movies that I have ranked above it. Yeah. Maybe that's a big part where we differ is that I wouldn't call tar technically incompetent or anything like clearly (laughs) there's a lot of people who know what they're doing like somebody who can deliver a really good score like somebody who knows like what interesting cavern movement is i I, i'm just really not in the camp at all that what i'm seeing in tar is like far and above most movies i watch um i'm thinking somebody responded to my review on letterboxd and and said like oh i should have pulled it up but like do you not can we not enjoy movies like just for their aesthetic and that's i feel like actually that statement perfectly captures my problem is people think aesthetic simply means something beautiful like the the pretty images in a thing like the colors of something and aesthetic really is deeper than that aesthetic is is a set of principles that are the foundation for a movie like Every image you see, every pretty image, every um, musical note you hear, like they all should be part of a whole. Like this should be all guiding your piece of art towards something, towards some sort of catharsis, some sort of meaning, some sort of emotional connection I'm going to make and look at, reflect back onto myself. Like I am really looking for all that stuff. And so like, while I understand that people really, really like the technical aspects of the movie and like the pretty things going on, I a don't think they're far and above other movies. Like I, I guess I just don't see that. If anything, I saw several moments in Tara where it felt redundant or it felt, um, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Like it kind of, uh, not copied, but. I mean, I'd seen it in other movies before. Like, I, I particularly thought of um, uh, the moment where she's in her bed in the, the the forest or the jungle or something. You remember that? And the bed's on yeah. fire. Yeah, like, yeah. that was from a We're At The, a Peach Upon We're At The Call movie. We're like Ethical? Yeah, We're Ethical. <laughs> I always say it like, like I'm saying it for the first time, like some idiot <laughs> only speaks English. Um, like, 
and just like the general energy of the movie felt very like Polanski. Like I, I'm just not. I feel like award season does this thing where people think like a movie like Tar, which has been propped up by the Academy, like has does something different and has this energy that like we've never seen before. And like I just don't see that. So like on that level, I'm not there. And then past that, when I think about the actual aesthetic of the movie, how all of this stuff is contributing to something deeper, like I guess I'm not. Not that I don't think it's not doing it, but I don't see what's so impressive about it compared to another movie I watched these past two weeks. He's just not that into you. Like that movie, sure. Like it's not like a shot from that movie has this like grandiose prowess that you see something from something like There'll Be Blood, but it's aesthetic. It's It's a movie about how people view relationships and how they move on from bad things that happens in relationships and how they value themselves compared to someone else, whether or not they do or don't want them. Like all that stuff is part of its aesthetic and the pace of the movie, the energy of the movie, the flamboyancy, the style of acting, like that's all part of the aesthetic. No, it's not going to have some like mind blowing shot that people write about for centuries to come. But in my mind, like all that stuff that it does, that builds the idea, the foundation of the movie, like, that's the aesthetic. That's well done. I, I think that's way more well done than Tar, which for the most part bored me. Like I'm just supposed to be blown away by a pretty shot, even though if the pretty shot lasts super long and doesn't go anywhere and doesn't tell me anything. Like I feel like that's just so much of what awards movies do. And to me, that was just like, that was all Tar. Like I was just like, they were begging me to be impressed by something that wasn't doing anything. I mean, it's definitely doing something oh yeah a, sure it's trying to do something there's a lot of commentary on like transitions in culture and time and like the moving on from like previous ideologies moving into like new world ideologies and kind of the the end of an era or a way of like viewing things it's also like i guess power structure like a changing in power structures and a shifting that's going on with lydia being representative of like an older way of doing things like an abuse of power like and then the fact that she's not even lydia tar she's linda tar she's who we've been watching is essentially like a character rather than a person and the destruction of that character. There's some like cool thematic stuff that's going on that I've started to appreciate some of the nuance of, but does that get back to then do the long shots do anything to reinforce that or like add to that? But I would say like you mentioned uh, was derivative the word that you're looking for derivative. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you mentioned the derivative aspects of it, but it's like, how is he's just not that into you derivative of a thousand other movies? Where it's like, if every movie's derivative of something, would it be that Tar is a harder thing or a rarer thing to see a derivative? derivation of or to be derivative right where like he's just not that into you like is a much easier thing to kind of 
copy or how does it avoid that same criticism? First of all, I don't think he's not that into you. That style is easier to copy. I don't, it, it's, I've seen plenty of movies do terrible job of it. So I don't know if that's necessarily true. Well, I, I guess my point with that was nobody's looking at that. He's not that into you and being blown away by the aesthetic of it. They just see something very common, very familiar, but you don't see that when you see tar. People tell me when I see tar that I'm watching something monumental. Like, oh my goodness, like, I can't believe this. When really, it's, and you're right, everything ends up being derivative of something, but like, it, j this just ends up being derivative of other s movies that have fallen into that camp that in the past have been like lauded as like greatness. And I just, I, I don't really see what makes it more impressive than something like he's just not, like what what is it about this style of movie that gets catapulted above everything else like all i'm really caring about is if a movie performs its aesthetic very well uh so uh, that that's all i meant by that point is like people are telling me that tar is something otherworldly when like it's just like anything else that i see that's derivative of something like you have the the conversation between Lydia and Adam Gopnik uh, near the mm -hmm. beginning of the movie where it's, I think like part of the a, movie. a seven minute shot that doesn't yeah. have a cut. Maybe it has like a couple cuts in there, but it's like you have stretches of like minutes where it's just like on Lydia talking. Yeah. And it's just like, technically that's a harder thing to pull off than <laughs> the average scene in like that has 30 cuts in it or 40 cuts in it where it's like cross cutting back and forth between characters it's stitching together multiple takes wait uh, i don't understand that why is it harder it is just harder <laughs> like you can uh, what you're describing like a bunch of takes and edits like that that's a process like that takes a lot of work to like make fluid and make watchable and i i guess i would think that's harder i it's harder to coordinate a scene where you can't just say like cuts and st like start in the middle of the scene and keep going it's like if you had to play something on the piano and there's a difference between playing it all the way through start to finish versus like starting you mess up you get to pick up from where you messed up and working through to the completed portion and then piecing that together it's just yeah, but I not think, if you're talking about putting that in. You're talking about just like the real situation of playing piano. If you're going to then make it into a movie, do I want to just watch somebody play piano? Or do I want to like cross cut between their fingers and the audience and the person's face? Like that takes way more work. But I think that's what people are responding to is the technical aspect of getting it all in the one take or the extended, like the implication of the extended shot is that they had to do all of this in real time. And is it that impressive to see that they had the the blocking for it, the movement for it, that Kate Blanchett had to stay like in character and perform all of this perfectly in a way that's like believable. It's the stuff outside of what's going on in the movie that I think people are responding to on a level where like you watch a scene in the typical like rom-com or a typical like blockbuster movie and 
you know that maybe it's difficult to get like the CGI or the editor had to do a lot of work to piece things together in a way that's coherent, but it feels like the the effort in the filmmaking was it as hard or the effort in filming the scene was it as like difficult i agree with you that people do think that (laughs) how is that not like because of everything i've said i guess like i i don't see when you know you're describing kate blanchett having to do do it all in one take and be believable and all that i don't think that's not impressive i just don't see why like when that happens we think we're watching something that's above and beyond what movies typically do. I don't think all the stuff you're describing about how a movie's edited together, I feel like you're kind of being a little reductive and simplifying things. Like that to me is just as difficult to do, to make fluid, to make watchable, to make it all like cohesive. And again, I feel like that's just part of a movie's aesthetic. Like the the art of constructing a scene like that and making it part of a bigger whole like that's difficult to do i mean like if you have a chase scene like if you have two movies and one chase scene is all like a single camera recording like chases down streets like turning like all of the all of these action sequences and stunts without any cuts that's not more impressive to you technically than a movie that has like a thousand cuts in that same stretch and not if it's done well. Uh, I mean, I just don't see how. <laughs> I think I think a long take uh, in a movie can be done poorly, just like I think a bunch of edits in a movie can be done poorly. It's all about the art of it and how. Like, I actually think that opening scene of Tar is probably the best scene in the movie. Like, I, I'm. It's funny that we're like even arguing because like I'm with you on that scene. Um, I like what it does and how it sets up what the movie's going to be about. Um, but again, I, I don't know, but I feel like you're getting at something deeper that frustrates me about movie culture is like this idea that that kind of scene, because it did that thing that most movies won't do, that it's special, that it's kind of like above other things and that these people went to a place movies don't typically go to. Like, I guess I just, I, I can't wrap my mind around that, I guess. Okay. So two films, car chase scene in the first one, it's one long shot like driving through these city streets tight curves like people having to dodge out of the way and get like the timing perfect and it concludes with going like a ramp over a bridge in real time that's closing off like everything that we saw from the beginning like getting to the bridge getting the timing ramping the car over meaning they had to start raising the bridge at like a certain time and time Mm -hmm. it just right that the car makes the jump versus a scene that is nearly identical in action, but they would drive down the street, call cuts, move the car, set up the timing. I get it. So, but here's, here's the, before I answer that question, here's what I want to ask you. Are you asking me what my reaction is to the knowledge of knowing they did that for that scene? Are you asking my reaction to actually watching the scene and how it was filmed and performed? The former. Like the how, I think that's, that's what people are being impressed okay, by. Exactly. And that, again, to me, is the root of my frustration is I don't really care. <laughs> like, <laughs> all I care do. about is if it's filmed well and performed well 
and exist well on the screen in an artful way that commits, that contributes to the aesthetic. Like, if it's not filmed well, I kind of don't give a shit. Like, I can be in awe that somebody pulled this off. I can go, like, pat the stunt performer on the back and say, like, wow, man, like, I can't believe you pulled that off. But, like, if it looks shitty on screen, why would I care? I think it looks better than the the million cuts and just, like, a, a close-up no, of no, a no, car no. through a fireball. If it looks good. Like, th- this is the this is the... The yeah, barrier I, we're hitting here, like you don't even care. Like if it's if it's filmed from like a million feet in the air and you can barely see it, if you don't feel like the intensity of the action at all because the director didn't bring the energy to it, like you don't care. If you just know that it was done this way, like you like it. I, I mean, I think there's a a middle ground between that. There probably is a version of how it like typically shot and edited. To where I would say, like, yeah, I do prefer that because the faraway camera is like so insane that I'm not getting any impact. But I, in comparing like Tar to the Lost City and like a sequence in like each of those, I would take Tar over every single scene in the Lost City <laughs> because I think it's visually more impressive to have the camera the performance is more impressive to have that long shot that's like kind of yes like i do find it's more impressive than like a scene that's cutting a bunch Eh. i I, so that's just like the big difference i think that we have is i don't care how it's done like you can have a lawn take you can, like we talked about the northman in a past episode like i think the lawn take in that movie where they're going through the village you know like we're following alexander skarsgård and you're kind of seeing the mayhem along the way like that's cool like the way that scene is filmed the energy it has the terror and carnage you're experiencing in real time like that lawn take it 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 works well in that movie because like you're kind of in the element with it do I think that exact shot were just as well cut together? Like, of course, if it's cut together well. But I, I'm thinking of like Fast Five when they steal the safe and they're like, the two cars are impossibly dragging the safe all around the city. Like, that that's a scene to me where like I don't know how you could properly capture the the intensity of that if there weren't cuts, if there wasn't a shot of a bank as the safe like rolled through and and like almost crushed a bunch of people like that kind of scene requires you to 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 have some splicing to to show different perspectives i I just i feel like that's where we're just on a different page it's like i i guess inherently like it's cool and impressive that something like that happened that they did a long take that they planned all that out but that doesn't work for every scene that doesn't necessarily make a scene better just because they did it no it doesn't and especially like in a movie, like I think highlighting that difference between the Northman's long take and Tar's long take is like showing off a difference in the fact that like Tar's long take of her like coming home, walking into a room, walking into a bathroom, like hugging her partner and like calming her down. It's impressive, but it's also not like they're doing a lot. Mm-hmm. Like is is the long take is the value you're getting from the long take that much greater than the value you get from cuts where I think in something like the Northman, the value you get in a long take is a lot higher than what you're getting in tar. 
especially like I went back and rewatched Gladiator. I mean, it's Ooh, been yeah. a few years, but rewatching Gladiator, it it's still like a powerful story and has like really cool moments, but there was still something with the action that felt like a lot like very reduced to me. It's the same kind of thing in the Nolan movies. Whenever there's action in a Nolan movie, I just am completely taken out by his editing of those scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, where if they were longer scenes, I would be more into the action. So, I mean, it's also my big thing with like the Bond movie, like Pierce Brosnan's Bond, you have like a scene on a boat and it's a boat chase and it's like cross-cutting between characters' faces. I'm much more into casino royale and like the epicness of that initial parkour chase and you still have moments of like cross-cutting to the faces and getting like the close-up in the mix but the amount of takes and the shot variation is so much greater in casino royale that i just think it's like night and day difference between the editing that we got in like the pierce brosnan bond movies it's funny that you're comparing Daniel Craig Bond movies with Pierce Brosnan Bond movies because those are all directed by different people. Um, and I feel like a big part of what you, you're you making me realize is this whole fascination with like the long take and like less cuts. It's a very modern thing to do. It's kind of like an edgier thing that people are into now. So it's not surprising to me to see, well, it's not exactly... A common thing to do like lots of movies don't have lots of long takes like tar has um but so when they do people really do latch on to it and and see like kind of the the power that's extracted from that i i do also want to say um that a big we kind of i feel like we kind of got away from what we were talking about at the beginning just like the how everything adds up to a whole like that's my big problem with movies when it's hard for me to adore whatever technical prowess is going on when like I don't feel what the movie is <laughs> like I like I don't know what I'm supposed to be impressed by if it's not like leading me towards something like emotional something I'm connecting with which tar does not do for me um in that like you know you're describing all the thing that tar technically does you wrote the movie guide for it and of course like there are all these themes and character dynamics and play in tar um, I don't mean to say that Tar isn't doing anything. Obviously, I can see all of the machinations Tar is going through. I just think that this is, again, some weird award season hype that happens with certain movies. And people look at Tar, a movie that has been catapulted and has, you know, got the spotlight on it. Like the, the Academy wants you to think Tar is bigger and does more. I guess I just don't see why it's doing more. To me... any movie is trying to do something every movie has three or four themes you can follow it's just a matter of like is it doing it well i feel like the idea is that tar is doing more and is saying more which like i guess i don't think it is (laughs) like it just like is saying as much as like any other movie is trying to say and i don't see how all this stuff we're talking about like it's just not heightening all of those themes and ideas enough for me to like feel any sort of connection to I mean, it's not just the Academy, like, hype machine saying it. Like, I'm saying it, and I'm not, like, some Academy, like, hype well, person. Uh, yeah, of course not. I, I, I just, I think, uh, I think it's, I guess I think it's inevitable a little bit, though, if, like, like, would you even ever watch 
tar if it wasn't considered i mean maybe we would but i'm more speaking to like the general conversation around the movie like are you yourself saying like tar goes for more and does more it seems like you are actually yeah i think that the statement that it's making about like power structures and shifting power structures in this very like large and epic way it takes some time getting there and i still don't know if it's the most like if it's the best version of what it could have been in dealing with that but like the combination of it kind of retelling a telltale heart with the statement that it's making about uh the falling of power dynamics and like the way the future can affect the past and the way that we look at the past and figures like Lydia Tar and whether or not she will be swallowed by these changing currents or will be able to adapt. Yeah. Like, is she going to be left behind or join this new world in a way and find a place in it? I think is taking on like larger dynamics than what I see some other movies like going yeah. for. I just like, that's again where I'm just like, I can't even kind of get on the same level as that. Like, I just don't see why that's more than something like you, you mentioned earlier, like the Adam project, you know, the, the whole reason this conversation started between Chris and I and our friend is that somebody tweeted about tar who said they didn't even enjoy the movie yet it was one of the best movies of 2022 and i feel like maybe that's more to what i'm speaking to like it sounds like you've really thought about the movie and you've connected with the elements of it like that's great but i think the general reaction to the movie is that tweet that it kind of just has a sense of energy it has a sense of importance that makes you feel like everything it's talking about matters more when really like it can do it can handle all of those themes and ideas poorly or not like or or well and i think a lot of people are just like despite not enjoying the movie despite it being slow and lackadaisical and feel like it's going nowhere sometimes like because it's going for more because it has that bigger statement kind of like the one you're describing it's better and and like i said like i feel like everything you just described like i don't think that's more than even a fast and furious movie says <laughs> like i don't i don't see that uh so i guess that's just the the delineation between us yeah because i would say that it's a fast and furious movie saying like three percent of what tar's like going for yeah but see that just like that again i think it goes back to the the idea of aesthetic and that you can really like I mean, not that you're specifically doing the, doing this with Tar, but like the idea that you can enjoy certain elements of Tar more um, than like if the story's lacking. Like, hey, if, but if like we have lots of long takes and the acting's really good and the score is really good, then like all that stuff like adds up to something bigger and the movie's saying more. Whereas like to me, the Fast and Furious movies, like maybe they're technically saying less. Like maybe their focus is a little more narrowed, but because they're so committed to an aesthetic, because like the movie is kind of one thing and is building on one thing and has such incredible energy around this one idea that it's like way, way, way more powerful. And maybe it's saying less technically, like the amount of things it's saying, 
but it's saying what it's saying so well that it's saying more <laughs> that it's like it it what its message is much more powerful has much more of an impact and means much more to me than anything tar could have tried to do i think some of that also comes back to like what is the message like in the adam project the message is definitely about like it's intimate in the sense of personal trauma and finding closure with some of your own hangups with grief and forgiving yourself and uh, connecting with this part of you that still exists on a certain level, mm -hmm. which is really like powerful and nice to explore, but it is like much more, I think specific or like the square footage that it's taking up is like much smaller than what Tar is talking about in terms of like generational shifts and power structures and power dynamics where it's like, I think you get a lot of movies that are like two bedroom, single family homes and less movies that are going for the kind of, larger zeitgeist statements that tar is making that that's i guess that's what i'm getting at is like that to you means it's doing more because it's speaking to something like that extends so far beyond itself that it just is saying more as opposed to the fast and furious movies which they're about family right we all know the fast and furious movies are about family and that's it like if it if all the fast and furious movies are doing is talking about the power of family they aren't on the same level as Tar. Like they can't be anywhere near where Tar is going. Like Tar is bigger than that. Tar will matter fifty years from now in a way. Fast and Furious won't. Is that what you mean? I mean, not yes and no. Like yes, in the sense that like it's very different levels of like commentary, but that doesn't mean that an individual reaction to one versus the other will be. Like, as you're saying, like how Fast and Furious captures the idea of family can be so powerful and like uh, cathartic in how it's exploring it that you get more from it mm -hmm. than what Tar's doing. I'm speaking more to the idea of just why there are people that f are excited by what Tar's doing because I think a, it's easier for a movie to explore something that's a little like smaller and personal and it's films less often go for the long take they less often go for the larger statement so when a movie does the rarity of it appeals to people in a way as well as like oh it's taken like three years to get yeah. another movie that satisfies this itch yeah and again i completely agree with you that that is what people want and I agree that it happens left off less often, but we are just on different pages and say that I don't think it's more impressive and I don't think it's harder to do. <laughs> okay. I think it's harder to do something really, really well. Yeah. I, mean... I think it's harder to craft such a deep and realized aesthetic than it is to make a statement that goes so far beyond yourself and says so many things about so many people and so much and expands so much time. Like, I guess I don't see why that's harder. That's just I mean, a different that's just a different message you can have. Yeah, I think it's it's different different realms. Uh 
of like some people just like the fact it's like with literature right some people hate (laughs) flowery literary writing yeah and other people really like it to where if you see like a sentence that's two pages for some people they're just like oh my goodness yes like i want this kind of Mm -hmm. like artistic flourish and that other people are like that is deal breaking for me i want just like the story and the narrative and like this kind of flourishing is taking away from it i think the long shots and the the grandeur of the theme are just also stylistic things that people enjoy and don't often get a lot of mm-hmm. i'm uh, uh for sure and i don't necessarily you know i think another big part of my frustration with tar is that it isn't that i don't it's not that i'm annoyed that people enjoy that stuff like i even enjoy that stuff i think my problem with tar is i don't think it's really contributing to like my connection with the movie and like the advancements of the yeah. characters or anything in a way that i like but I think a bigger part of this and more of what I was trying to say earlier of like the award season aura or anything, because I'm not trying to project it on you and say like Chris just likes it because of the Oscars. (laughs) Um, But I do think there is, and I know you've talked about this before, and I feel like this is another area we kind of deviate on, is that Tar is regarded, even if you don't really like it as much, it's regarded as a objectively better movie in quotes. Like Tar is above and beyond what we expect of movies it's the kind of movie you could consider for the afi list a kind of movie you you would consider is the fast and furious movies it's the adam project are these movies that like just aren't part of that conversation it's part of this weird what i find to be a strange ranking of movies in a very objective sense that we're all supposed to kind of come to a consensus on which ones are better and it just frustrates me that like tar gets thrown into that conversation in a way other movies aren't allowed to. Um, I just like, I think that's such a boring way to look at movies over the the span of time to kind of like over time, like pick which ones belong and like the zeitgeist and which ones we're just going to pretend like didn't happen. I just get annoyed that that general conversation and I'm just annoyed that people keep being that way with tar. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> I, I just think it's a it's just a reductive way to think about art and movies and everything. Like I I just I just can't even wrap my mind around it, I guess. I'm I mean, I'm more the camp that sees it than doesn't, but I think I I know your aesthetic preferences. And yeah, it would be very, fr- <laughs> it would be very frustrating. I, it's frustrating that it happens with any movie, period. Oh, th- there's some that are, I mean, how do you, how do you avoid that? What, what is the. You avoid it by accepting subjectivity <laughs> that there isn't like a decisively movie that's better than others. Yeah. Like I see something like I'm looking at the AFI top 100 right now and I see Unforgiven's in there. I don't think Unforgiven's. I think Unforgiven's like closer to um, like Fast and Furious style than I think it is to Atar style. Wow, I disagree with that, but okay, that's not really. I guess that's not really the argument we're having. <laughs> I guess I'm just looking for movies that are like m- would fit into that that aren't just like 
that tar like that are on the top 100 forest gumps on there yeah i i just anyway i i guess all i was getting is i feel like you and i have had this conversation in the past of like there are movies that can be considered objectively better like maybe you don't enjoy tar which i'm guessing a lot of people maybe a lot of people really do enjoy tar like i'm not denying that but based on that tweet that i saw like i'm sure there are people who watch tar and just like oh it just like feels like it's doing more even though i'm not like enjoying the act of watching this languid ass movie like it's better right like it's just better than other movies it's better than a fast and furious it's doing more i feel like that mentality has kind of just been steeped in the people and there is this idea that a movie can actually be objectively better when that's actually bullshit and not real and that your reaction to a movie should just be whatever it is you should be open to talking about a movie and learning more about a movie but like you can't deny how you just feel about a movie inherently yes and no i guess exactly like, you, you you see you see nuance in that in a way like i just can't yeah it's very different experiences for us <laughs> I, I, Which... I mean speak to it like well how can a movie just be objectively better like how can you ignore subjectivity totally i mean i think it gets back to some of the the technical for me it always gets back to the technical aspects of something like i'm watching the the last of us right now on hbo or like really any HBO show, like I feel like the um like the style of filmmaking, the details, the uh the acting opportunities with some of the scenes that they give, it just feels so elevated beyond almost every other television show that it's like regardless of like do you like it or not, it's just like technically that much more impressive to where I think that's where a lot of it comes down to like Star Wars is an epic like legendary movie but I feel like Star Wars is inherently like has a low ceiling on most aspects of filmmaking it's just kind of fun in a way that like carries the day and does enough stuff well in terms of the practical effects, but comparing Star Wars to The Godfather, right. like, yeah, like I feel like it's kind of just from the the cinematography to the editing to the the character journeys and everything that's going on. I I feel like The Godfather is like objectively better, but does that mean it's going to be more popular or like, is it more fun or enjoyable or any of that? But that's that's exactly what I mean is like all those things you say that make The Godfather better. Like those are things we're saying that collectively as a whole, as a movie loving society, like these are the things we've decided make a movie better. Like if you do these things better, you're better. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, which there is an inherent like arbitrariness to that. Exactly. Like, I could say everything you just said about Star Wars. Like, I could pick out so many aspects of Star Wars 
that are done so well that I don't see other movies do. Wouldn't that make it objectively better? I guess it depends on if we were agreeing to like the value of those things over other things, then I think we could start to, I think that's kind of like the understanding is like an inherent agreement that we value this over that, which can change if you're having like a specific conversation of like, like even taking genre into account, right? If we're saying that the, the, conversation is around like thriller elements or like action sequences then that reorients the whole conversation around like what's objectively better suddenly something like the graduate would it be in the conversation at all because the action sequences aren't there where a movie like raid 2 would be objectively better based on that right factor so don't doesn't that render the whole thing like to even get on a base level of everything you're saying, everybody, everybody has to agree on a set of principles that makes a movie better. And those set of principles allow a movie like The Godfather to be better, Tar to be better, 2001 Space Odyssey to be better, but not Fast and Furious, not The Adder Project. Like, don't you think that's like, isn't that odd? Doesn't that limit what movies can do and be i mean i think as long as the entertainment factor is there i mean that because like clearly fast and furious franchise is one of the most successful franchises in movie history um the amount of like money it's made the amount of sequels it's had is it by far the most like movies with like the same cast uh yeah they they're in several of them, yeah. Like, we're coming up on number 10, right? Yeah, five through nine have mostly had the same people. Okay. Like, I guess there's only one that hasn't had Vin Diesel? Yeah, the second one. Or yeah, no, uh, no, two of them didn't have Vin Diesel. Although Vin Diesel makes a cameo at the end of the third one. Oh, yeah, that's right. Tokyo Drift, he's not really. Okay. So. <laughs> I like that this is what we're talking about. I guess like the Harry Potter movies had like eight movies with like the same cast, but like an original property, like an original cinematic property, like Fast and Furious is one of the most successful of all time. And I mean, Mission Impossible is as well in that way. But I do think that there's always going to be that entertainment factor. And I think this is something that we see in all a division that comes up in all artistic genres, whether it's music, whether it's film, whether it's like novels, TV shows, poetry, like paintings, there's the entertainment factor and there's the technical factor. And the, there's always like a, battle back and forth between those things and people that champion one over the other people that find like amalgamations in the middle ground. And I think it's kind of unavoidable in a way. And also the rubric that we come up with or like that general subjective vibe is something that's just kind of been honed over the years of like the general idea of what's 
impressive. Like I see a movie like Argo and I think Argo is just like a completely like bullshit standard, like Mm -hmm. annoying movie. And yet it wins best picture Um, because enough people, I guess, decided that it was like entertaining in this middle ground and that's infuriating. And I, (laughs) I feel like that's probably how it, is with you with some of these movies mm-hmm. that are getting like this kind of recognition over others. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, there's so many things I want to get into that we can't like, I, I feel like you're supposing that the Godfather is just more technically sound than a fast and furious movie, which I, I still can't wrap my mind around. Like what makes that? So <laughs> like that's as somebody who loves all three Godfathers. Um, I don't know who decided that like the technical achievements of the Godfather is just more impressive than the Fast and Furious, which could just be boiled down to p- plain and pure entertainment. Um, right. But I, 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 yeah, so this uh, round circle going all the way back to the beginning of what we talked about. <laughs> I just like that whole attitude, the, like the idea that there is something objectively better. Like I just see that with Tar. I know it is happening. So it just frustrates me to God and that like I'm not allowed to not like Tar for very legitimate reasons that I can detail and list out and compare to other movies that I think do it well that you think are shitty. Like it's it's a really uh, annoying argument that I feel like I have every single year to award season. There's always one movie that like triggers it and Tar seems to be the one this year. Which, yeah, I mean, you are a champion of shitty movie disenfranchised films yeah that's <laughs> i know it just our way of like phrasing it me being like disenfranchised film and you're like shitty <laughs> i know they're shitty yeah they're like shitty films i think you know we need that we need that voice to say like hey there's like beauty here there's quality here like this sequence in uh he's just that not he's just not that into you is like (laughs) wonderful in a way that like how do you get this kind of like enjoyment from it from tar in like any scene in tar like eh? it's funny because i really didn't enjoy tar but i have it in the mediocre category of my rankings like there are movies I think are a lot worse. I have a just plain bad category. I have a really bad category and I have an atrocious category. Like I don't even have tar down there. Um, I'm just annoyed by everybody that likes tar <laughs> besides Chris. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. 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 Well, do we end the episode now or do we talk I, about the other? Movies? I think we're done. This episode has just become, it's become the tar episode. It's become the tar episode. I do wonder Here's something I'll pitch. Do we want to finish the episode like normal and then like splice out this part and make it its own episode? I mean, we could. We talked for pretty much an hour. Yeah, about Tar. About Tar. Just release it as like a bonus episode. (laughs) We can't do that if, if you're game. Sure. Um... Let me check with my wife really quick to make sure I have to have the time to do this.
Uh, could you hear all that? Uh, not not enough to make out what was being said. Um, well, I don't know. What do you think, Chris? Overall, <laughs> I mean, I think it works as its own episode. Okay, my only the only or thing like, is I'm supposed to help with dinner soon. Yeah, I I think what we have works as like a rankings episode just fine. Oh, okay, okay, that sounds good. Um, and. If you want to hear my thoughts about signs, if you want to hear Chris's thoughts about you people, <laughs> just go to our website. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have rankings. Uh, this episode finished, but it's, you can see what we thought about these other movies on Film Colossus, just checking our rankings. And then we'll be back next episode talking about, what's the movie? Um, knock, knock, what is it called? Knock at the Cabin? Oh. Knock at the door. Knock at the cabin door. <laughs> it's whatever that movie's called. We'll be talking about it, and hopefully we agree cabin. about everything. Yeah, because that's nicer God when, for- we, when we're just friends that agree about stuff. God forbid. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so yeah, check out the website filmcolossus.com. If you want to support us on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/filmcolossus. You can hear all the episodes ad free. We'll add perks to that eventually, uh, but there's nothing yet. Yeah, but thanks for listening. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for grueling through that. And is is there other stuff we're supposed to say? I don't think so. I guess that's it. Um, so until next time, I'm too tired to think of anything to say at the end here. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Got a big question to ask.